welcome to Revolutionary Women. My name is Tess Silverman. Women around the world are constantly creating ways to make a difference in their communities, and today's guest is no exception. My guest today is Jessica Cox. Born without arms, Jessica drives cars, surfs, scuba dives, and otherwise lives a normal life using her feet as others use their hands. She believes that the way we think has a greater impact on our lives than our physical constraints. To prove her point, while also overcoming her greatest fear, in 2008, Jessica became the first pilot in aviation history licensed to fly a plane with just her feet. Since then, she has visited 27 countries, sharing her inspirational message as a keynote speaker. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to Revolutionary Woman. How are you today? Doing all right. Awesome. Okay, well, good to hear from you and um, looking forward to our uh, talk today. Um, so I, I have, I definitely have a lot of questions. Um, and so let's get started. So you were born in Sierra Vista, Sierra Vista Arizona, correct? Is that where you started? Yes. Okay. In southern Arizona. Okay. Um, it's near Fort Huachuca. Yes. Okay. And how was your childhood growing up in Arizona? I grew up in a very, um, it was not as typical as some small towns, I should say, because it had the military presence there. Oh, it always had a okay. lot of different families that came from abroad, who uh-huh. were stationed in Germany and other parts of the world. So it was more it was more inclusive, I think, of different mm-hmm. than had I been in a place that was more sheltered from a lot of international travel. Okay. So, I mean, you were, so you were born without arms. How did that affect you growing up? Well, growing up, I think it was a fortunate thing to have grown up in this small town that, of course, had um, a lot more difference in it with the military base there and, and a lot of people who've seen parts of the world. And, but at times it was still very difficult. Mm. It wasn't that small of a town mm-hmm. that people, you know, knew your knew you by name and everyone you saw you knew. It wasn't like that kind of town. It was it was big enough to have strangers mm. and strangers were constantly reminding me of my difference mm. and my not having arms, even though I grew up, you know, having this foundation of wonderful parents. My mother who's a Filipina, and my father, American, and they both raised me in a way to not think of myself as different, not think of myself as unable to do the things that other children could do. They just gave me the wonderful encouragement. But I was still in a town of strangers, Mm. and people would tell me, you know, you're handicapped, you're disabled, you can't do it, you don't have arms, and it was Uh. hard at times. Oh, my gosh. And, I mean, how did you handle that type of discrimination or or bias against you? Well, it was hard because you're kind of powerless as a child, and having the outside world tell you these things, especially Mm -hmm. adults Mm -hmm. and people who are um, more powerful and older should know better, Mm -hmm. it had a definite impact on me um, in a way that wasn't always positive and mm-hmm. it made me want to be like everyone else or go home to mom and ask her why did god make me differently mm-hmm. and you know why don't i have arms like everyone else mm-hmm. and at times she would just tell me be patient god has a plan for you mm-hmm. and even at the age of five i i had a hard time 
coming to terms with my difference. I think I went to my church priest and asked him permit him to pray for me to have arms. Mm-hmm. That was what I was told that I did. I don't remember doing that, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were these moments that were very hard to uh, feel like everyone else yeah. and wonder why I was different. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I read your parents have been really amazing and supportive, especially your mom. I mean, did her belief in you made you feel like you could do anything? I mean, both parents, their belief in you? Yes, both of them did. And I mean, I can specifically remember a moment when I went up to mom and she said, you know, uh, she really believed it. And it wasn't like, you know, how some parents will say something just to kind of appeased the child, but mm-hmm. it was like she really lived it out mm-hmm. in her life. Wow. The no limits, the the yes I can, the, the can do <sighs> attitude. And so it just, you can't help but instill that in your child, even without words, but by actions. Mm-hmm. And she was that for me. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, so I read that you wore prosthetic arms for 11 years starting age three, how did that affect the way you saw yourself and how you lived your life? Um, Having the option of prosthetic arms was something that I think, especially in the 90s and, you know, late 80s, Mm -hmm. everyone thought of these prosthetics as as being incredible. Mm. You know, they Mm -hmm. were going to help uh, essentially be like new limbs, but... It was something that my mom wanted to make sure that I had the option of. Mm-hmm. And so she provided me with that option of prosthetics at the age of three. Uh-huh. Um, and the people and the professionals around the prosthetic field mm-hmm. were overly um, excited uh-huh. that I think that they may not have always asked my input, but wanted me to have these prosthetics, whether or not in the moment I was thrilled mm-hmm. about them. never got used to them or did you get used to them and you just never liked them anyway no I never really got to that point of totally getting used to them Mm -hmm. they felt like foreign um, objects on my back as I wore them through school every day and wondering why am I wearing these Um, day in and day out learning how to write with them learning how to eat with them when I already had the skill set with my feet wow okay so um so you moved from Sierra Vista to Tucson in 1997, and then you were starting eighth grade in a new school, and that's when you decided you were no longer using the prosthetic arms. What made you decide to not wear them anymore, and how did that feel for you, knowing that I'm not doing this anymore? Well, making the move from a small town mm-hmm. to a bigger town, mm-hmm. a city that had over a million people, Mm-hmm. Um, it was almost like a fresh start for me, um, a brand new slate. I could be who I wanted to be. No one knew me in the town. Uh-huh. I had this new opportunity, a new kind of zest for independence. And so it gave me this chance to make that decision. Do I wear my prosthetic arms now? I'm 14 years old, and my parents felt I was at an age that I could make that decision on my own. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I'm not going to wear them anymore. It's time to... Uh, let them go. I've given them a good 11 years and I've mm. tried. I've done things. I've written with them. I've learned how to eat with them. I right. carry bags with them. But it's time for me to move on and move forward with my life. And, and I decided to go without. And it was one of the best decisions of my life. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's really incredible. 
Okay, so I read you graduated from the University of Arizona with a degree in psychology and communication. But how did you go from that? How did you venture into motivational speaking? I went into motivational speaking really kind of almost like clueless. Mm-hmm. I knew about speaking when I was a sophomore in high school and I opened up this magazine and there was the story of a guy who was a motivational speaker and he was born without arms. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I had already had the experience of ask, being asked to speak to children and to teenagers about younger than me. Uh-huh. Um about my life uh-huh. and telling them about how I live life without arms. And they really got a lot of inspiration from it. So it was kind of planting a seed. Uh. And then reading about this man who had a career in, in the motivational speaking, I said, maybe I should consider this. And so I decided to set on a path. Huh. Second year of college, changed my major to psychology, uh-huh. started to do some speaking. And um, when I graduated, I was ready to dive in. Uh, into this whole occupation, this industry of motivational speaking. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, so you were talking before about speaking to a group of of young, I guess, were were they high school kids or younger? Don't Uh, worry. They were actually middle school. Middle school. I was sophomore in high school, and they were seventh graders. Okay, so... Probably a difference of three years. So was this the one in San Carlos, Mexico? Or is this no, different? no, my first, that, yeah, that, that, then I had my very first professional invitation to an international convention, and it was going to oh. be my first, first international speech would give me the title international speaker, huh. and that was in San Carlos, Mexico. Oh, wow, yeah, and then I, I read that you had, you know, in order to get there, you had to fly in a single-engine plane, then on your way back, you had the chance to actually fly the plane you became the co-pilot. So how did you initially feel about flying in a single-engine plane, and how did you feel afterwards? I did not like flying at all. Hmm. I didn't like to fly. I flew commercially to the Philippines, and uh-huh. I remember how terrified I was. Oh. It was to California a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really didn't like flying. Mm-hmm. And now in a small plane, I've never been in a small plane in my life, and so <laughs> oh, I was terrified. Uh-huh. But on the way back, like you said, the pilot said, hey, fly, put your foot on the yoke. And I put my foot up on the yoke, and he let go of the yoke on his side, and I was flying the plane. He said, wow. you're flying it by yourself. That's so cool. So was that the point where you said, w- w- did you have some kind of an aha moment when you were actually flying that plane that you decided this is what you wanted to do? You wanted to fly your own plane? Yes. I I didn't necessarily want to fly my own plane, but I wanted in that moment that I experienced flying, I wanted to become a pilot. Mm-hmm. And okay. whatever that would mean, even though no one had ever done it without arms before. Right. And I thought, okay, let's, let's just attempt this. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Okay, Jessica, how, I mean, how hard was it for you to find the right plane for you to fly in, you know, to, to fly your own? I mean, I know that was, like, further down the road, but how hard was it for you to find the right plane for you? Finding the right plane for me to fly was a journey. Hmm. First of all, I didn't even know what there was a difference in planes. I didn't even know what a standard, typical uh, 
train or plane was, which mm -hmm. most flight schools have what's called a Cessna. That's mm -hmm. probably the most popular. I didn't even know that. I didn't know there was a difference uh, between planes. Uh -huh. And then I started flying in that Cessna, and I knew, though, that the abilities required of me to fly a Cessna was going to be a lot more complicated with two less limbs than everyone else. Mm. But that's when someone sparked the idea of another airplane built in the 40s that could be the answer oh, to wow. independently flying a plane. And that's why this Aircube airplane came out in uh -huh. a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and I that was that. my ticket to becoming a pilot. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Okay, I mean, okay, so, huh? So you wrote a book titled "Disarm Your Limits: The Flight Formula to Lift You to Success and Propel You to the Next Horizon," and in it, you identify a formula for flight, which is lift equals weight, thrust equals drag. What do these terms mean to you? Um, you know, um. What they say in aviation is the four forces of flight, uh, lift, drag, thrust, and weight. Mm -hmm. And these are all, they come into to play when it comes to flying. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, you have people who help lift you up, and then you have the weight. Mm -hmm. Everyone has challenges and obstacles. Mm -hmm. And then you have thrust and drag. You know, drag is basically what pulls you back. But mm -hmm. all of this is important. Mm -hmm. It all kind of counterbalances to allow for flight. You can't have, um, you know, you got you have to have them all. Mm -hmm. And I talk a little bit. Um, it's been now almost you know seven years since I wrote that book. Mm -hmm. um, but I talk a lot about how those factors come into play and um, how we need people to encourage us, and we have to have our drive and desire to push us forward and perseverance. Mm -hmm. And all these different principles that have, and then the courage, courage is another factor, mm -hmm. because so many of us are really discouraged when we come across something that we're afraid of, and we immediately freeze, or we don't do it, yeah. um, but we have to do something despite being afraid of it, which is why I became a pilot, because it was my greatest fear. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the book, and it's also because you, in, in, um, in addition to having this flight formula, you identified that formula for, you have identified um, a formula for flight in your life, and you itemize them as adventure, desire, courage, innovation, balance, persistence, support, authenticity, and faith. I mean, that's, that's really a lot of, um, I guess, not items, but they're like principles to put into your life and do you do that on a daily basis I mean it, I mean how has this formula helped you in your life um it has definitely helped me in on multiple levels mm -hmm. um, having all of these in my life and um sometimes um one is stronger than the other but it's really about having having all of them and having that kind of balance spirituality and my faith is a huge component of my life as well during mm -hmm. the more difficult days mm -hmm. and getting through the rough patches mm -hmm. um so all of these come together and i and i always say that you know um when it comes to the bad days you got to look and be grateful for what you have mm -hmm. and your and for me my faith is a tremendous part of, of all those um, difficult days to get through it mm -hmm. and move forward 
Yeah, that's amazing. I, I love your book because it really gives, you know, your your uh, uh, in addition to you telling your story, your life story, you have given um, the readers like basically um, life skills or 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 like principles of how you can live your life with even faced with challenges, which I think is so is so amazing. Um, so, all right, so let's still go forward. So you're a black belt in, you're the first black belt without arms in martial arts, um, ATA, which is the American Taekwondo Association. You're a certified trainer, instructor, and fourth degree black belt. You received a Guinness World Record for being the first woman to fly an airplane with that with their feet. Um, a state champion in Forms, Arizona in 2014 in the ATA martial arts in the non-special uh, Ability Division. You're a certified scuba diver, a certified light sport pilot, right? And you're the, and you're the president and founder of Right Footed International Foundation International. Uh, how do you feel knowing that you have achieved these goals you have set out for yourself? I am almost in disbelief when you're listing these things off. <laughs> I have to remember this because I'm always on to the next thing, but you have to really appreciate what, you know, the things that you go through and mm. um, achievements that have helped others as well because that's the ultimate goal is to give back and yeah. to be able to empower others to do the same, which is why I have my career as a motivational speaker mm -hmm. and it's why I'm on to writing my next book and mm. all this is about really giving back and empowering others. And yeah. when you think about those lists of accomplishments, I'm like, wow, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> I don't really take time to reflect on it, but yeah. I just such a goer that I keep moving on to that next thing. Mm -hmm. Well, do you ever sit back and think, I mean, you've already been a motivational speaker for 14 years or more, and, and have spoken in 27... 17 years. 17, okay. And you've spoken in, years. from what I read, 27 countries. Now, that's incredible. I mean, do you ever sit back and think that you can't believe that you're doing what you love to do? Oh, you're, that's a very good thing that I need to do more of. Uh -huh. I'm living the dream. Uh -huh. And not just me, but my husband and I get to live the dream. Mm. We get to travel the country and do what most people only have once a year to do, you know, mm -hmm. they pay for a vacation to go somewhere. Right. Or some people twice a year. Mm -hmm. But for mm -hmm. me, it's like a, a job and a, every day is something different. It's always good. That's really cool. Yeah, I do need to appreciate that more, I think. So I'm glad that you brought that up. <laughs> well, that's awesome, though. And, and so you are the president, and I mentioned before, president founder of Right Footed Inter Foundation International. So what is... Right-Footed Foundation International about, and what prompted you to create it? Uh, Right-Footed Foundation International is um, a 501c3 nonprofit, mm -hmm. and it's something that I most recently started here in the last five years. Oh, cool. So okay. my for-profit business, which I've been speaking for 17 years, is um, an occupation. But then out of that, I decided to start a foundation to help people with disabilities. Ah. And that's what Right Footed Foundation International is, is a 501c3. Okay. And we help, um, help mentor, educate, advocate, and inspire people with disabilities. Wow. And right now we are on a mission to build the first 
airplane called the Impossible Airplane, the first airplane that could be flown with feet. Oh, how cool. Oh, my gosh, Jessica, that's incredible. And how long before... It's exciting. Okay, so how long before that becomes a reality or is already in progress? It officially is in progress as of last week. Oh, so my gosh. We started opening the package of the fuselage. Sorry, not the fuselage, but the empennage, which is the t- tail of the airplane. Okay. And this airplane is going to come in, and we're excited to say that the wings may be coming from the Philippines. Oh, wow. Which is wonderful. So it's a kit airplane, uh-huh. and you build it into a full full airplane, and we're going to custom design so that the left seat of the airplane, the pilot in command seat, can uh-huh. be flown with just feet. That's incredible. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to see that. That's so cool. I wow. can't wait either. It's, it is exciting. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. Okay. So I also saw a TEDx that you did in Tel Aviv, and there were three quotes that stood out for me. Pity prevents progress. Instead of fitting into society, uh-huh. add to society. And then a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt saying, no one can make you feel inferior without you giving your permission. Now, I love these quotes, yes. but what do they mean to you? Let's start with that last one because it's my favorite. Okay, and sure. No one can make you feel inferior without your permission. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I think that everyone, no matter who they are, they're either bullied or picked on or, or singled out. For one thing or another, mm-hmm. something about their difference, something about their upbringing, mm-hmm. something about one thing or another, it's always, we are all subject to being picked on mm-hmm. or made fun of. Right. And so a lot of times we have to um, deal with that. And, and as young, young people especially, it's hard because social acceptance is a critical aspect yes. of development. And... Yeah. Um, so one of those things I like to share is that message that ultimately you're going to have to um, have that experience, but mm. you can choose whether it affects you or not. And, and being that in that empowered position will allow you to be more resilient so it can bounce off you a lot easier mm-hmm. than absorbing the impact of right. the, the insults or the being made fun of. Right. Ah, okay. Um, so, in your travels, have you met people who have made who have been impacted as a result of you telling your story? I have met a number of people because now I've been a pilot over ten years, mm. and people will come up to me and say, "You know, I remembered hearing your story, mm-hmm. and it helped me because I was really doubting whether I could become a pilot or." Wow. Another woman told me one time that she was considering becoming a helicopter pilot and wasn't sure she could. She had what it took, and then she heard my story and it encouraged her. So I've heard some wonderful, rewarding people who've come up to me to say that hearing my story a decade ago has inspired them. That's really awesome. Okay, so can you? So in your book, you spoke about you speak about advocacy, especially with regard to children who are. Um, armless. Why is advocacy important to you? Advocacy is so important because, for one, as the individual, we have to learn how to advocate for our needs. Mm-hmm. And um, 
for me, it was a journey to get there. A lot of times I wanted to keep my mouth shut. Hmm. I wanted to just blend in with everyone else. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to communicate to others whether I needed help or whether I didn't need their help. Mm-hmm. And so I was just subject to whatever people were going to respond with. But hmm. learning to become an advocate means developing your voice and communicating your needs. And not only communicating your needs, but then later on advocating for others' needs. Right. Because a lot of people are... Um, disabled and powerless in parts of the world where mm-hmm. disability is seen as either a negative, um, you know, negative label as being something that's a curse in some places. And right. Some places, it's a, there's stigmas that still exist to this day. Yeah. And so I recognize in those positions, I have a unique opportunity being that I'm now a public figure with mm-hmm. aviation and, and becoming the first. Mm-hmm. I can use my platform to advocate for their needs and say, Yes, they can do things despite what you think. Mm -hmm. Yes, they can go to school. Yes, they can have a job. Yes, they can get married and have a a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. And yes, they can have a family if they choose. So those are the things that I mean by advocating for people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Number one, advocating for myself, which Mm -hmm. I had to learn how to do. Um, Speaking up for myself, which took a long time to get there. Hmm. And then... The next level, speaking up for others when you have the opportunity to do so and advocating for their their needs and for their rights. Wow. Well, Jessica, you mentioned that it took you a while to get there. Why Why so? I, I love that question because I think a lot of times I think back to my self-conscious, um, very insecure child-like self. Mm. And I think... For me, the pressure of just going unseen and unnoticed was mm-hmm. more important than advocating my needs. Really? And yeah. I guess I just didn't have a voice. It was more of a, as a young person, it was like, I didn't want to be noticed. Mm. And then number two, I, I wanted to, to please people as well. Uh-huh. Yep. So I wanted to kind of just be quiet and keep my mouth shut. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of those pressures of conformity mm-hmm. um, made me keep my voice to myself. Yeah. And I was a disservice to myself when right. I couldn't communicate my needs yeah. and advocate for myself. Yeah. Huh. And you know what? I, I guess I, I can see that because as children, we have, you know, we're told to like basically, it depends on, on obviously the family um, and the environment that you're living in, but um, the family dynamics. But yeah, I, as a child, you're told like you know what, you really shouldn't, you you really don't have an opinion, or you really should just sit back and listen and not say anything. But what I love yeah. about you is that you've just like well no, <laughs> it's like you know it took it, it might have taken me a while, but now you are such a powerhouse for so many people, you know and especially for young girls, I'm sure, you know, uh, whether uh, for every young girl who sees your story, it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's like, I can do this, you know, and and does that, how does that make you feel knowing that your voice and your story is allowing these young girls to say, yep, I can do that? I think it's just um, so rewarding to know that because, Mm -hmm. Um, we all need some kind of role model to show us that we can do the things that we dream about. And 
to be able to be that for girls, especially who mm-hmm. are either told, you know, you're a girl, you can't do that, right. or, um, you know, this this is out of your, you know, this is mm-hmm. out of your reach. Right. Yeah. Because you have a disability or you're too young or yep. that's not something or that's not ladylike or mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's so it's such a it's such a pleasure to be able to be um, a force of yes you can mm. and to be that uh, take that leadership position for girls who may feel so pressure to mm-hmm. do one thing or another or not have the same kind of encouragement that I had growing up. Right. Because I know that that's what made me who I am. I was fortunate to have such a strong mother. Right. Um, woman leader. Uh-huh. Not only my mother, but my aunt. My mm-hmm. nana, I called her. Mm-hmm. She was such a powerhouse and strong woman herself. Mm. Um, but not every girl has that. So now I can be that to so many. It's really a pleasure. It's such a blessing. I love that. Okay, so is there someone, I'm sure, or people whom you would credit for where you are now? I mean, you mentioned your parents, but who else? I have so many people. <laughs> I mean, the list goes on and it continues to go on because you have no idea, but um, I seem to uh, attract some of the most giving people in the world who want to be a part of something that mm-hmm. is bigger than one person. And so they jump in uh-huh. and they really do get involved, whether it's helping build an airplane mm-hmm. or whether it's teach me how to fly mm-hmm. or whether it's, um, you know, giving me a scholarship for my flight training oh, or whether that. it's yeah. giving me that little bit of encouragement right. uh, that I needed, that, that little bit of uplifting positivity mm-hmm. that I needed to hear on that rough day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all part of something and giving that is, and so I can't even begin to start <laughs> to think the list of people who have helped me. That's awesome. That's just, I mean, I just have a few people at the top, family, and then mm-hmm. obviously um, there's so many people who've been a part of it. Mm. Okay, so is there, Jessica, is there something you haven't yet tried that you would like to do? I mean, I'm sure it um, is. <laughs> yeah, there are things that I love to try. I think there, there will always be something new out there mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and always something new to try. That's great. A new experience a new goal and right now the goal of building this airplane has consumed us mm-hmm. it's a lot of work mm-hmm. um a lot right now i have a stack of thank you notes in front of me mm-hmm. <laughs> speaking of people i need to thank uh-huh. that i'm starting to fill out for the rest of the day during my last day of isolation so wow. yeah okay <laughs> so what are your goals for right-footed foundation international and you know the goal currently of you building your plane We were actually just um, really articulating this, um, what the goal of this plane will be, mm-hmm. um, because we know that having a visual um, medium for getting the message out, the disability doesn't mean inability, mm-hmm. is going to be very powerful. Yep. I mean, how can you argue with someone who comes in to land an airplane right there in front of you and say, this person, this person who has a disability could still be able to go to school or should still be able to have these opportunities because mm-hmm. here I am landing an airplane. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. it's going to be wonderful what this airplane can do. Yeah. And then flying people in it, mm. which we have yet to have been, we haven't had that chance to do that. Wow. But flying someone in the airplane will be incredible, especially someone who has been told that they can't do something. 
That's so cool. I love that. And so is there anything you would like to say, actually, before that, if anyone wanted to get involved with this, with your new um, initiative, with this new plane, how would they go about finding out about it or getting involved? I mean, whatever you would need. How would they this do so? This airplane called the Impossible Airplane is going to be incredible. It's going to eventually one day circumnavigate the globe, to so go around the world. And we want people to be involved. We want people to take part, whether it's ideas, mm-hmm. whether it's um, a monthly um, maybe contribution. Mm-hmm. Anything and everything helps us. It could be $5 a month. It can be anything just to get us on board and getting closer to this goal. Mm-hmm. The website is theimpossibleairplane.com. Mm-hmm. And... If you go on to that, you could follow us, follow the progress. And please, if you can, contribute in some way. We greatly appreciate every bit of support. I love that. That's awesome. So if you had one thing to change that you wish you had done years ago, would that be a thing that you would want to change? If I could change one thing years ago is I would have made the decision sooner to leave my prosthetic arms behind Mm. and Mm. move forward with a compelled sense of independence and freedom and knowing that I am my difference is my gift and it's a blessing and there's no reason to hide it okay and my last question for you is if you could go back in time what advice would you give your younger self if I could go back in time, I would definitely tell myself to uh, snap out of it, stop being so concerned about what other people think, start living out my life more confidently, and um, not to be worried about what people are thinking when I do so, um, share my voice and my opinion, mm-hmm. if I have one, mm-hmm. and, not be af- and, not, and not to be afraid to do that. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to like come on the show and speaking to me about your life and, and your newest you know, initiative and all the work that you're doing to making sure that, you know, the, whoever is having a, could be having a challenging day or has any challenges that, that prevent them from doing something, they can listen to your or see your, your story on YouTube and say, oh, my gosh, you know, if, I, if she can do that, I'm sure I can do that. You know, and if that is the message that, is, that can impact someone, I think that's amazing. So I, I thank you so much, and I'm so honored to have you on my show and for being, you know, just such an incredible inspiration to so many people and especially to young girls who are going to, like, see this and or hear this and, and hopefully go on your site and say, oh, my gosh, you know, say, like, well, how can I do that, you know, and how can I help? So I really, really... Well, um, thank you. Uh, Thanks for empowering so many women and girls. Well, I, I hope to continue to do that, and, you know, I really am so grateful that you uh, said yes and that... Um, you were able to come on and, and tell us your story. So with that, um, have a great day, and I will talk to you soon. Okay. Okay.
Okay. All right. Take it easy. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. That's our show for today. I've posted more information about Jessica Cox on RevWoman.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in every Thursday for another episode of Revolutionary Woman. You can listen to Revolutionary Woman on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Just a little note. I've launched a Patreon account to support the show. All proceeds will go to producing and editing the episodes to give my poor husband a break for being my personal IT and production department. He wrote this. The address is patreon.com slash revwoman.